This episode is sponsored by Best Life Coaching Society. You're in the right place. You're checking out Chip Baker, the success chronicle. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Chip Baker coming to you with another episode of the Success Chronicles. And today we have Misha Fayant, and she is a master's elite powerlifter, has done some really great things in powerlifting. She's a speaker, a coach, healer, and an author. And so uh, first off, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to interview with the Success Chronicles today. And yeah, I thank you for having me on, Chip. I've been really excited about being here on your program. So thanks for asking me. All right. And tell us where you're coming from. I'm in Boise, Idaho this morning. Okay. So that's, well, Meridian, Idaho, just outside of Boise is where I'm based right now. So. All right. The fastest growing city in the nation at the moment, by the way. Oh, cool. Cool, cool. Meridian. Pretty, it's a pretty quiet little place. Good. Well, talk to us about your life story. Uh, you know, where you're from and, you know, how you were raised and grew up and kind of track it up until now, please. Okay, sure. You know, I forgot tissues. I'm going to warn you. <laughs> My emotions just come out on all sides. It's so, okay. <laughs> I grew up in North Idaho. Um, dad was native and mom was white. And we grew up in a really Christian family. And pretty simple life. But um, so I had, I think that everybody has people in their life for a reason. And I think that mom and dad were both in my life for very different reasons. And just just forging that steel. And so from one side, there was a continual message of I was never enough. Nothing I did was ever enough. Mm -hmm. I was not good enough. I even had family members on one side they didn't realize there was such a person as Michelle. They didn't know that I even existed. They knew about my brother before me. They knew about my brother after me, but they didn't know about me. Um, so I grew up with that. And it, it kind of just, I say, it kind of just kind of covered me like this invisibility cloak. I fell into this place where I just really didn't felt, felt feel seen. <laughs> I didn't. Um, think that anybody wanted to see me. And so I just kind of shrunk from life because of all of those messages that just poured in from all over the place. 
besides that being half native and half not I was called a half-breed a lot. And back in the day, you know, back in the day when there was all this unrest, and I realized that there's a ton of people who don't understand the unrest that went on with Native Americans in our own country. They don't understand the things that we went through. And the pieces that I went through are so small in comparison to what my father and my grandfather went through. But we, we, there was a time up in North Idaho in the early 1970s, when all the unrest between the government and the US and the natives was going on, that we actually had the CIA, the BIA, um, American Indian Movement, all in the hills around our town. And as Native Americans, we had to wear a red armband on our arm if we left the house to designate that we were Native American. And if we didn't have that on, we could be arrested. Even oh, wow. as a child, we could be arrested. There was a bridge that went into the town that went, and we, there was armed guards that stopped and checked us to make sure that we were wearing our armbands so that we stood out and we were known as Native Americans. So there was that piece. You know, I, one minute I'm going to school and everything is fine and I have all these friends, and then the next minute they're spitting and throwing stones and even the teachers are kind of nasty towards you. And so then for a while we were held up in the tribal offices because we just couldn't go to normal school. And there wasn't a lot of learning going on. There was a lot of kids playing around. But one day I was taking care of a small child and shots rang out and the glass in the front of the tribal offices broke and they were shooting in the tribal offices at us children. And so I grabbed the baby and ducked under one of the metal desks and it was a horrifying time, you know, just visions of who might be hit and whatnot going on. Um, so that was from the white side, right? And these are people that we went to church with, that we used to shake hands with, that we knew. And it, it was just, so that just kind of sunk into me. And I, I really clung to my native side more, mostly because my father was such a huge influence on me and the things he did. But even at that, then from at that time, because of the unrest and because I wasn't, full-blooded native there was some pushback from the natives so it was it furthered that I don't belong feeling right and then I mean my, my childhood I have some great memories of my childhood and we you know we did a lot of we lived in the country walked mm -hmm. up and down dirt roads and stuff um, but my life has been about uh, overcoming trials really, yes. really so in my lifetime I we counted and it's been something like 18 broken bones I have about 93 inches of scarring across my body so there's that accumulated over lifetime in my 20s I started realizing these nightmares I'd had nightmares ever since I was a little girl that were reoccurring and they were very disturbing and they were things that a little five-year-old girl should not know and so one day I got up the courage <clears throat> and asked my dad, I said, daddy, these, these things don't feel like dreams. They feel like reality, but I see them every night and I've seen them every night since I was a little girl. And then there were other pieces. We would drive by a house in a distant town and I would know that house. I would know how it smelt inside the house where the light came in, where the furniture was positioned, but I didn't remember being in that house. And this big, tough native man who I never saw cry just broke down in tears. Mm. Hands in his, you know, his face in his hands and he was just sobbing and apologizing. So 
it all kind of came around when I was 45 and had to have my first hip replacement. And the doctor said, this is from childhood injury that your hips have been worn out so soon. And then we looked back and remembered when I was 15, the labrum in my hips, and I didn't understand at the point, that point in time, my hips would pop as I walked. So that along with the story that dad filled in for me, the pieces made the nightmares make sense, came to the terms that there was some sexual abuse when I was very, very young. That also built that foundation of some of the dysfunction that I lived in, some of the I'll never be loved or I'll never be wanted that I lived in. You know, it was it was really freeing at this at the same time to know that that was really what happened because then things started to make sense. But I still went through a number of years of severe depression. Now I had, like I said, I had that dad who was just this force in the world. And he, our last name is Fayant, and so he would say, "You're a Fayant. You don't stay down. You get up." I don't care what knocks you down, you get up. And that's what I, on the one side I had in my life. And so I just knew that no matter what happened, I couldn't stay down. I had to get up no matter what it was that happened. So as life went on, all these things kept happening and I just kept getting up and moving on. And I've had so many people in life tell me, I've never seen somebody try to live life so right and have so much go wrong. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know some people say there's there's that whole question. I've heard that before. of Would you change anything in your life? And, you know, that's kind of arguable with me. I probably wouldn't because I feel like everything that I've gone through um, is there for a purpose. Yes. There, there are so many other people who have been through the things that I've been through, been through things that are maybe worse. And just the fact that they can see one person who's been through that, who's suffered the depths of depression, who's had suicidal thoughts, who's who's had physical uh, scarring and breaks and mental breakdowns, and still stand up and find their brilliance and find their success in life, I think that that is the purpose. It's uh, It's helping bring other people up and understand that no matter what, you are enough, and you are enough just like you are. And that's my message to people. So my life had had some good points, and it had some rough points. And man, I was in really bad depression before I found powerlifting. And I was I had started some self work. And along the way, I had all these spiritual teachers and all these people bringing me pieces, right. So I think that God delivers you pieces if you're aware enough. If you have your eyes open, you can see them. And they will all come together at the right time. So there were people that ran into my life when I was a child that I thought, what are they speaking into me? Because it doesn't make any sense. And really, sometimes I don't want to hear it. Right. But at the right time, all of those pieces came through. So I, I'm actually, I'm kind of off on a tangent, but I actually had somebody ask me that the other day with the videos I put up on Facebook and some messages that I've given. And one of the, my friends said, yeah, but who are you speaking to? Because some people don't want to hear that. And that was my point is maybe they don't want to hear it, but that piece is there now. That piece is there for them to draw from. They may not be able to take that in and accept it right now, but there will be a point 
where their vulnerability is there and they hear that message, they remember that piece and they can draw from it. So even if my message doesn't touch somebody today, hopefully it will touch somebody at their right time. So back to the powerlifting. My, I had been training my son because he was a football player. We were in, a, we were in I think it was a 4A school and it was like the 10th ranked in the nation. His genetics from his dad meant that he didn't mature fully as a man until his 20s. So mm. when he's 15, 16, he's kind of small compared to some of the other guys. He's brilliant. He can see moves on the field. He could do things that the coaches were surprised that he could do because he was so small. And they, he took out guys that were that they, they thought, no way he could do But he had that mindset. He just didn't have the size. Mm -hmm. So I took him in and started training him to build some strength and size. And one of our national team members saw me lifting, said to him that I should try powerlifting. And I honestly didn't even know what powerlifting was. It was about 45 at the time, but I'm competitive. I don't know. Some people will get that at some point. <laughs> I'm pretty competitive. Yeah. So, if, if, you're, if you're a powerlifter like you do and the things that I know you've done, uh, yes, super competitive. <laughs> so, I, we went home, we, we Googled it, I started looking at some records and stuff from uh, local meets and whatnot, and I thought, oh, I can already do that. So yeah, let's try this, let's give it a go. And it was a draw for me because at 45, it was something I could compete in, physically compete in. And, you know, in high school, I was in volleyball, basketball, track and field, so I was always active midlife with the kids and stuff, not so much because I was face focused on them. But I picked up powerlifting, and somewhere along the line, my son, because he's a little cocky, I don't know where he gets that from. <laughs> he challenged me. He said, you know, if you're going to spend, because I had some injuries, I, you know, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but he challenged me. He said, if you're going to be a powerlifter, if you're going to spend all this time and all this money on equipment and training and stuff, then you better be doing something with it. And he knows that with my kids, I've never broken a promise. So let me quantify that. If I say, yeah, mommy, you'll take care of this. Sometimes maybe it got forgotten and didn't happen. But if they pinky swore or they looked me in the eye and made me tell them the words that I promised them, I didn't break that promise. Because of my childhood and the things that happened to me, I wanted to make sure that my kids knew they could count on me. So he made me promise him that I would become a world champion powerlifter. And that cockiness in me was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do that. To heck with you. I'm going to do it. You don't think I can. I sure as heck I'm going to do it. But then I stood back and went, what on earth did you just do? What did you do? Because, you know, at, at the time there wasn't, raw powerlifting in worlds it was equipped and I, I didn't lift in equipment so I had to achieve a certain total for me with between the squat bench and deadlift it had to be almost 100 pounds but I achieved that almost every year since I started lifting and I'll come back to that in a second but after you achieve that and get to go to nationals and you have to win your spot at nationals to be selected on the, the national team to go to Worlds. So there's some pretty massive steps that have to happen before you actually get to go to Worlds, win at Worlds, and become a world champion. Now, along the way, 
every year something happened. The first year I qualified and I was training for nationals and in a freak accident at home, I fell, tore the ligament from my lower leg that holds the foot bones together and the whole lower leg together, tore it completely from my ankle, tore it three quarters of the way from um, the fibia and broke the fibia in the process. So now my legs in cast and bolted together. There's actually bolts in my foot to hold it together. Five months out from nationals, there's no way that I'm gonna, you know, get that cast off a month from nationals train and be ready. So that was that year. Then I had my hip replacement, first hip replacement right after that was when we realized that was the pain I was having in the hips. And then I fell and tore my thumb off and had to have it reconstructed. Um, that one was about another five months. I couldn't do any heavy lifting because increased blood flow might take my thumb altogether. Then the third year, it was some financial stuff. I got hooked up with a person that I thought was, was uh, reputable and they just completely weren't. So there were some legal battles and it took my funds that we should have been able to go to nationals. So I couldn't go. Then I qualified a fourth year, and when they put my hip on, they I arrested on the operating table. So a small incision front and back turned into a 16-inch scar across my left glute, which almost cut my glute in half, and about a 6-inch scar on the front side. From all accounts that we have been able to put together, they just hurried up and, and finished the job and put me back together because I had arrested. When they did that, my foot got, my leg got put on crooked. So for a number of years, I tripped over that foot. Fourth year I qualified, my meniscus was torn. And my leg, that left leg was swollen about eight inches bigger than my other leg. And I'm prepping for nationals, right? Fourth year in a row. And at that point, I had to sit down and say, what is going on? And I realized that it was my own subconscious blocks. We all have them. We take on these stories just like I did in, in life and we take on these beliefs that other people give to us and it defines who we are and where we think we can go. And so what was happening is I had been told that I would never amount to anything, that I would never accomplish anything, that I would never succeed, be loved or be wanted. And so as I'm approaching the action that would allow me to do the world, my body kept making sure or other things kept making sure that I couldn't go. So in that moment, I started pulling together all of the tools I had and said, I'm gonna beat this. I'm not gonna let this happen anymore. So I continued to train and it was painful. It was hugely painful. There was, I was on crutches a month out from nationals. And when I got to nationals, they said, one of my teammates said, you can't lift tomorrow, you can hardly walk. But the whole time, the whole training cycle, I said, no, I have to go. If I only squat the bar, I have to go because I have to stand on that platform and I have to break this pattern. Well, I went to nationals. I won. I won my spot on the national team through all of that and just sheer determination and understanding the blocks that I had built and having to break through them. And then the next year, I went to my first world championship. And at that world championship, I set couple of world records. I had my first perfect day in lifting ever. You have three referees and they all give you a light, a red or a white light. Right. You have to have two white lights for the lift to be good. So we get nine lifts because you get three for squat, three for bench and three for deadlift. Yeah, yeah. I had um, 
nine white light or nine good lifts and 27 white lights a perfect meet i didn't nothing went wrong and i set world records so it was surreal and that at that point i went i did it i achieved this i i broke those blocks and along the way it became that message of i have to do something that's for me and i have to succeed at something in my life because i've given my whole life to my kids and everybody else and so that promise i made to my son became a promise to me <laughs> and so that's how i got to my first world championships and i've won three total world championships now and i think it's 15 world records to my name i head out for my next world championships in three weeks so okay so so hold on hold on hold on he said so you won three world championships yes yes <laughs> masters, ma masters world championships yes yes and then nine what oh 15 world records so <laughs> and last year last year so this comes into uh what, what i'm proud of but last year in both of my meets, because I competed in bench only at Worlds and I competed in the three lift at Worlds. In the bench only, my opener for bench was a world record. I broke my world record on my second lift and I broke it again on my third lift. They call that a trifecta. And that's nothing. So that was that was just amazing. Amazing sauce for me that year because beyond having the world records and beyond having the world title, that trifecta was huge for me. And then I repeated it again at the three lift meet. My bench opener was a world record, my second lift was a world record, and my third bench was a world record. So obviously, bench is my strength right now. <laughs> well, good deal, man. That's that's some amazing stuff. So so, you know, like you said, that gets into the three things that you've accomplished in your life that you're proud of. What are they? So obviously the world championships and world records are one huge thing that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. um, I've done a lot of things. And actually, after this whole process of self-discovery, I realized that there were a lot of successes in my life. Yes. I worked as a builder and I put up attractive homes. As a woman, I, I put up attractive homes and, and made that successful. So I'm proud of that. You know, mm -hmm. most, women, most people don't see a woman do that. I worked as a designer for a ski wear company. And, and in the few years I was there, we um, increased their sales over four times what they were when I started. So I'm proud of that. You know, I worked as an artist for a while. And in the couple of years that I really dove into to painting, I sold hundreds of paintings and other artists were like, how are you doing this? So Last year, I was given the word multi-potentialite, and I really like that word because it really describes me. So I, I see a lot of possibility. I see a lot of things that can be done. And because of my dad, I really believe that if I really want it, I can do it, whatever it is. So I, I kind of, my, my native totem is a frog, and I kind of hop around <laughs> from all these things and accomplish this and accomplish that and then move on, right? But so those are tangible things that I'm proud of. But really what I'm most proud of is that I have two well-adjusted, amazing children who are kind and loving and human-centric. So that's, that's probably my, my biggest success and joy. There it is. What's your definition of success? So, you know, I thought about that long and hard. And um, 
success really is the pinnacle of a multitude of failures, right? You don't achieve success until you've had tremendous failure. People don't realize that. They see successful people and they just see that they, they just see the success. They don't see the, the broken bones or the failed, the failed tries or that, you know, uh, they just don't see all of that. So that strength that brings you to success, I think is built on those failures brick by brick. And beyond that, my other definition of success and cheating here is, um, I really, for me, success is really not about anything tangible. It's not about the money. It's not about a car or a fancy home. Success for me is being able to step into what I'm meant to do and touch other people along the way. So if I can be happy in what I'm doing and I can enrich somebody else's life while I'm doing it, how big or how small that is, that's success to me. I love it. I love the, the the pinnacle of a multitude of failures. And that's deep. (laughs) That's deep stuff. Uh, What do you think it takes to achieve success? So I think it takes just that. I think it it takes understanding that failure is not a bad thing. Failure is a good thing. You learn from your failures. So if you have failures and you dissect those failures and you learn from them, either you know that you're not going to go down that path or maybe you just took a wrong step in that path and then you can further it. But like I said, I see those failures as bricks in your foundation for success. So how you achieve success is by getting out there and doing it. Have all the failures, but learn and move forward from them. Man, lots of good stuff right there. Well, again, thank you so much for interviewing with the Success Chronicles. Lots of good inspiration and motivation that we can all learn from. And um, I really like the fact that you know, you've taken the struggles and the failures and the things that you've gone through in your life and, and used those as bricks, as you know, things to stack to help build you up with your successes. And so, and that's what it's all about. It's a, you know, having a, a mind a mindset shift, a mindset. Uh, you know, your perspective on everything de- determines your elevation, you know. And so um, I think it's really cool how you're able to do that. You know, it's awesome. So, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, being a, a powerlifting coach before, man, I'm still blown away from those, the, the championships and the world records. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Last year, I'm going to be honest. Last year, I only won by a half a kilo. Yeah. And that was the closest battle I've ever had. Yeah. But um, there's that competitive side, right? That's it. Replacements and a knee that's bone on bone, and I I can't give up. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I don't care what yeah. it is. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, good deal. Keep doing your thing. And I uh, also want to uh, give you opportunity to tell people where they can check you out. Like, you know, look at you know, some of your videos of your lifting. And you have uh, something that's about to come out uh, sometime yeah. soon that if you want to talk about that. Sure. Sure. So you can, they can, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn, mm-hmm. all as Misha Fayant. That's M I S H A. F-A-Y-A-N-T. 
So just, yeah, any of those platforms, that's where I'm at. I do have a website called Empowered Lives, and it's no E in the front, just the M, poweredlives.com. But I also have, I co-authored a book this spring with a local company called Women Ignite, and called Ignite, and a very short version of my story is in that book. Um, but on the back of that, the full memoir, the full autobiography is coming out this May, and it's called Lifted Up. So that book will be coming out. Once we have that book done, though, because I'm that multi-potentialite, we're going to be working on some other books. And in, in fact, a book and a workbook on goal setting, because I think that in success, that's where people oftentimes fail is giving proper uh, focus to their goals and writing them out and having that, that structure and that plan to get there. And the other one is going to be on self-help, all of those things that I built from to help break those subconscious blocks to catapult me forward and get past that that point of self-damage to becoming a world champion so there's a couple more books coming this fall but the first one is going to be the autobiography this spring called lift it up well good deal well again thanks thank you guys for watching this episode we'll see you next time god bless Go get it. Thank you to Best Life Coaching Society for sponsoring this episode of the Success Chronicles. www.bestlifecoachingsociety.com